You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. You, you feel this, this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Packernet After Dark. It is the daily or once every other day or kind of whatever you guys feel like. If you're not feeling like calling, we'll just we'll just take a day off. It's a, Again, it's up to you, man. If you need a vacation day, you take a vacation day. How about that? You get to be your own boss on this show. It's great. It's wonderful. Um, the pay sucks, but um, man, it's, uh, it's, it's not a bad job. Also, don't come to me for benefits because there are none. No pay, no benefits. But again, the freedom. Man. Envy of the world right now. Just think your ancestors, what they'd be thinking right now if they could see you now. You know, they're working 23-hour days, just, just you know, I was going to say slaving away, but, you know, let's, let's move on with the show. And as always, first-time callers, go to the front of the line. Hello? Hello? Hi, hey. uh, I am a first-time caller. Uh, my name is Evan. I'm calling from just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, we got a lot of Phoenix... Or, or Arizona people hanging out? Um, I've listened for a very, very long time at this point, but just curious, um, and, I, and I'm hoping you might be able to make me feel a little bit better about okay. our whole wide receiver situation. I know it's been something that everybody's been talking about for super long time at this point, all offseason. Um, I'm just curious, like, what what's the difference between um, – you know the the whole down year that Aaron Rodgers had when when Jordy Nelson was uh, got hurt um, in the preseason um, and just couldn't find a receiver uh, essentially, and our offense was just crap. Um, what's the difference the difference between then and now? And I know you can probably say, you know, we definitely have a better better running game, and um, you know there there's a lot more receivers, and I think. There's probably some more quality talent, but hoping you might be able to break it down a little bit more for him, make me feel a little bit better about the situation. Because I know Dobbs is supposed to be, you know, the the next coming of I don't know, Megatron or something like that, um, with the way everybody's hyping him up. But I just I I feel a little bit worried that the offense isn't going to be humming like it's been uh, for a while. Thank you, um, and thank you for doing the show. I, I love it. I'm listening all the time. Thanks, dude. Uh, I appreciate that. So, first of all, Evan, I'm going to put you in the thing here. I'm going to put you in as Evan from Phoenix, and I probably spelled Phoenix wrong, but that's all right. Yep, I did. It's O before E. They don't, they don't make like a jingle out of that, like uh, I before E except after C, with the exception of neighbor, neighbor and way or something like that. 
Um, anyways, OB4E, except as in, I don't know, maybe it's always... Uh, so, about your question. It is a good question, and it's one that I haven't looked at, so I appreciate that. It's one of the benefits of the show, is I can only come up with what I can come up with. And there's going to be things that I'm just never going to think of. So, with Packernet After Dark, it kind of helps to broaden that a bit. So, I've talked about, you know, look at... 1990 whatever five or six with Robert Brooks and is how about we look at 2015 when we lost Jordy for the year and how that whole thing panned out so let's start by looking at 2015 and uh, the roster that we had at the time which included Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, James Jones, Jeff Janis, and Ty Montgomery. It's kind of a weird situation because Things were a little bit different. For example, um, we were just a better offense back then than we are now, even with Devontae. In 2014, we were the number one scoring offense in all of football, number six in terms of yards. Last year, we were the number 10 scoring offense. And although 2020 was great, if you look over the last, you know, five years, our offense is ranked 21st, 14th, 15th, 1st, and then 10th. So we could probably get rid of 21st because that's uh McCarthy although 2018 again kind of ranked right at 15th but this was at a time when starting in 2011 our offense was first fifth eighth first then 15th and then fourth so on one hand you look at it and go well I don't know we lost uh, Jordy and we were 15th and that's what we've been kind of the last three four five years so it's kind of on par however again every year in fact the Packers are top 10 going all the way back to 2007 2007 through 2016, the only time, mm, let's say 2014, the only time, no, 16, I'm stupid. Only time we were not top 10 was 2015. So it, it, it was a very noticeable difference. If you look at yards, again, 2012 was kind of the only year as, as an outlier, we were 13th, but going all the way back to, you know, geez, 2006, you know, Brett Favre era, ninth, second, eighth, sixth, ninth, third, 13th, third, sixth. Then 2015th, we ranked 23rd and then back to eighth. And then again, since then, we've kind of just been, you know, 26th, 12th, 18th, 5th, 10th. So I guess the question is, is there going to be as big of a drop-off looking at losing your starting wide receiver as there was when the Packers lost their number one starting wide receiver in 2015? And strangely enough, if you look at 2015 and you look at the yardage and the distribution, it goes a lot like we expect this year to go, right? The ball's going to be distributed and nobody's really going to be a thousand yard receiver. We've had a couple people mention that, that there may not be a thousand yard receiver, but it's going to be distributed across a bunch of people. James Jones, 971 yards. Randall Cobb, 867. Richard Rogers, 566. Devontae Adams, 531. James Starks, 408. Jeff Janis, 224. Eddie Lacy, 190. Abraderis, 180. Ty Montgomery, 136. Justin Perillo, 102. Kuhn had 72. Corliss had 31. Rupkowski had 18. So even from a standpoint of, well, we got a bunch of guys to spread the ball around to, kind of the same thing. Now, they've got three wide receivers and a tight end that cracked 500 yards. Is that what we have? Well, we've got Lazard. We've got Tunyon as the tight end probably Watkins if he stays healthy, and then maybe one more. Either Randall Cobb or one of the rookies would be my guess. Aaron Rodgers' production didn't completely fall off, but it certainly did take a dip. 
3,821 yards and 31 touchdowns. <coughs> so, you know, th- there's really not a lot that I can say. The, the only thing that's kind of lingering in the back of my mind is Matt LaFleur's offense is a little more built for this than Mike McCarthy's was. Mike McCarthy's was more of a superstar offense. Your superstar quarterback and your superstar wide receivers beating guys one-on-one, and this is more about creating opportunities. This, and, and it is going to have to be leaning more on the scheme. We can scheme these guys, those guys open to make this thing operate. It's, it's what I've said, too, about guys like Jordan Love or the next quarterback. You don't Obviously, it's beneficial to have an Aaron Rodgers, but you don't necessarily need it to be successful. We saw Jared Goff with success. We've seen Jimmy Garoppolo with success. Matthew Stafford, let's not pretend he is the most elite quarterback in the world. They won a Super Bowl. You don't need an Aaron Rodgers. And I don't think you need a Devontae Adams. That's the only thing I'll say, but but otherwise, I can't really dispute it. Here's, here's the only other thing I'm going to add, though. That's, that's somewhat interesting. Aaron Rodgers has thrown for 4,000 yards every year of his career that he started, except two. Well, three, but one was, was nine starts. But games when he's only missed at most one game, he's done it twice. 2015 when he lost Jordy, and 2010. What was the big difference between 2015 and 2010? Both of them had offenses that weren't exactly the most powerhouse offenses we've seen. The difference was the defense. Now that doesn't mean, hey, guess what? We're more like 2010, so we're going to win a Super Bowl, but, but that does make the difference for this team, I think, and I think we understand that. There's going to have to be a little bit more weight on the defensive shoulders this year than in past years. And, you know, if you look at 2019, the first year that Matt LaFleur was the head coach, we won 13 games, and I don't know that we should have. But the biggest thing was we saw a lot of games where the defense didn't really play very well, but those are the games that the offense stepped up. We saw a lot of games where the offense didn't play very well. That's when the defense stepped up. You got to have a little bit of that. And I think at the end of the day, the offense is going to have more games than usual where it's just not quite clicking. And that's where we need the defense to be able to step up and say, okay, all I need, and I talk about this during the season, kind of setting a bar, all I need from you, 22 points, 20 points, whatever. Get to 20 and we'll cover the rest. Get to 18 and we'll cover the rest. Heck, get to 10 and we'll cover the rest. I think there's going to be an element of that more so than, than not. And I think this could be a team that, that is similar to 2010 or 2019 in that in instance, but hopefully with a better defense in 2019. But if you look back at 2010, there were games that the offense took over, there were the games that the defense took over, and there were games where they both just came through. You know, beating Buffalo 34-7. to That's obviously the offense and the defense coming together to just smash people. When they beat the Jets 9-0, to that was the defense saying, just get a field goal and we got this. Beating Dallas 45-7 to was peak offense and peak defense at the same time. And again, I think this offense has the ability to have these explosive games, but you're going to get those games where they score 13 points, 9 points, 20 points, 17 points, which is what they did the first half of the season. They scored those point totals, which are not great. 20 or less, one, two, three, four times through nine games, four times through eight games. You know, a lot of those, those losses that they had were just neither side holding up their end of the bargain, you know? The last game against New England, you know, well, eh, that's not necessarily true. Usually it was one side or the other completely falling. 27-31 is not the greatest for the offense, but, you know, it's it's decent enough. But, you know, I mean, when <laughs> you look at the Detroit game losing 3-7, to seven, defense did all it could do. The offense didn't pull through. But the point is, starting in Week 16, they didn't lose again because one side or the other came through. And you look at Week 17 against Chicago, and this is a critical game. 
The offense only put up 10 points. I mean, they weren't guaranteed to, to get into the playoffs, and the offense only put up 10. But you know what? The defense came through and held them to 17 points. Then that first week against Philadelphia, they only scored 21. In the playoffs, you better do better than 21. They didn't. But you know what? The defense came through, held Philadelphia to 16 with two turnovers in that game. The next week, they held them to 21. The offense blew up, crushed the Falcons 48 to 21. The next week, again, offense not doing a very good job, only 21 points. What did the defense do? Two turnovers, 14 total points. And then finally in the playoffs, the defense gives up 25. Through this point in the the playoffs, including going back to the Bears game the week before, the last one, two, three, four games, only once in the last four games would 25 points get you a win. But that's when the offense came through. That's what we've been missing. Just this real good cohesion between the offense and the defense. Either they show up at the same time or one covers the other. We can't have this thing where, where one side does their job and the other doesn't to the extent that we lose it. You know, getting into the playoffs in a critical situation and the defense holds a team to 13 and you put up 10. If they set the bar at 13, you have to get over. If the offense scores 30, the defense has to keep them under. These are, these are you know, if anything under 20, the offense needs to win. Anything over 30, the defense needs to win. Basic bars to, to get over, get under. And, at, you know, I, can I comfort you that this is going to be a top 10 offense? No, I can't. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. There's, there's plenty of guys that can be great weapons, and, and this can be a great move-the-ball offense, but I don't know that it's going to be. But this is a team sport. For every single team in existence, even, even powerhouse offenses, they're going to have bad days. And they're going to have to rely on the other phase to help them win. That, that's, that's ultimately why powerhouse offenses and even powerhouse defenses struggle to win in the postseason. Because it's not just about what you're able to do in a dominant way most of the time. It's about consistency. It's about consistently having a good enough offense, a good enough defense, and unfortunately, a good enough special teams. You know, Buffalo Bills were a powerhouse last year with the number three offense. They scored six points against the Jaguars, 10 against the Patriots, 15 against the Colts, 16 against the Steelers. Everything else was over 20, but they still had those days. And you know what? The defense didn't pick them up. They lost all of those. They had the number one defense in all of football. Tampa Bay still hung 30 on them. Titans hung 34. The Colts hung 41. The Chiefs hung 42 on them. The offense wasn't there to pick them up either. They lost all of those games. That's an important part of being a football team. The offense is going to have bad days. Can the defense pick them up? The defense is going to have bad days. Can the offense pick them up? When it came to Buffalo, zero times were they able to do it. I'm not saying that's the reason they lost in the postseason, but if you don't have that element, I think it's going to be tough for you to win because when you get to the postseason, it gets tough. Tampa Bay, number two scoring offense, number five scoring defense, or, or yeah, well, points against defense. Scored zero points against the Saints, 19 against Washington, and uh, 19 against the Patriots. They won one of those games because the defense swooped in, only allowed 19 against the Patriots, and they won. That defense, 30, 31, 34, 36. They lost all of them except the Colts when the offense came in and scored 38. Again, that's the kind of stuff you need to be able to do. But what happened when they got knocked out of the, the playoffs by the Rams? The defense fell off. They allowed 30. They had a bad day. The offense needed to be there to pick them up, or you can go either way with it. But the point is, you can't have both of them failing at the same time. The offense just needed to get over 30 and win the game, and they couldn't do it. The offense scored 27. The defense needed to keep them just under 27, and they couldn't do it. And that's the bigger picture here. 
top 30, top 20, top 10, top 5, top 2, I don't know. But I do know that they are talented enough to put up points. They have enough weapons with an MVP caliber quarterback to be able to put up those 30-point games. To be an offense that when the defense isn't at its best, they can rise to the occasion. And they have a defense that can cover for some of the flaws of the offense. Hopefully to be able to give them better field position. Unfortunately, I don't know that our special teams is going to help us with that, but defense can. I mean, if if we kick off the ball and they get the ball at the 25-yard line and go three and out, guess what? Our offense has good field position. So a lot of remaining and lingering questions. Um, I can't promise you that it's not going to be a disaster, but I certainly don't know that it's going to be. I think it is to their benefit, especially in Matt LaFleur's system, to be able to have a team that can distribute the ball around. It's going to make it very difficult on the defense, and I think it's going to be a benefit to whereas in the past they just say let's take away Devontae and we're sitting there going I don't know what to do now we Devontae's my guy now it's how easy it is to switch if you want to feature Lazard and he's not having a good day to just go okay let's do Watkins because who cares there's no drop off let's do Dobbs there's no drop off let's feature Aaron Jones there's no drop off so those are my thoughts hey Ryan this is Dakota over here in Memphis I just had a, I, I'm, I'm curious about the, how Alan Lazard and Sammy Watkins, um, are going to be used. Obviously they're going to be used in tandem a lot. Um, them both being really good blocking wide receivers. Now, yeah. unfortunately, you know, I don't have a podcast or really any reason to pay a hundred dollars for a PFF plus subscription. So uh, like I haven't found a way to look up their actual grades. Yeah. So if possible, uh, could you, Inform me on how they compare to all the other wide receivers, how they compare to one another. If Sammy Watkins, obviously his receiving has not been, or he hasn't been negative a receiver uh, here recently or even past recently. Uh, so is he going to be used kind of similar to a, you know, Mercedes Lewis role where he's just mostly blocking and then we'll toss him out there every now and then? Um if there are going to be a lot of Alan Lazards and Sammy Watkins on, you know, run being used at the same time and run blocking, or, I mean, they're wide receivers, but how often do you think they might be pass blocking? Uh, just curious. Um, I, I really can't wait to see how both of them are going to be used. Uh, just curious on your thoughts, though. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think that they're going to use him like Mercedes Lewis. In other words, he's primarily a blocker. I don't think that's the case. But you, you did sort of remind me of, of one of the major features of this offense, and that is that we have two of the premier pass blocking or run blocking, I guess, blocking receivers in the NFL side by side with one another. And in terms of how you can use that, I think there's a million different ways that you can do it. Um, but, I mean, just use your imagination. And, and I'm not an – I don't know how these things work. I'm not an offensive-minded or any kind of minded person at all. But we have a unique football team. Offensively in particular, when you look at strength and power, we have one of the biggest and strongest backs in A.J. Dillon. We have, again, two of the better blocking receivers in Watkins and Lazard. But we also have a guy by the name of Amari Rogers. And, and just for an example – and again, there's, there's no doubt that your mind goes to only one particular place, but just imagine a bunch. So we're talking quarterback, running back. You got one wide receiver split out to one side, and on the other side, you have three in a bunch. And those three are 
Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, and Amari Rogers, or Aaron Jones, or A.J. Dillon. And the reason I, I say that is because it's very obvious what we're trying to do. We're creating a situation, and, and the benefit of having a Amari as opposed to an Aaron Jones is they may put a linebacker out there or something. But the, the benefit of that is you've got three DBs that really don't stand a chance, and the defense has to know what's coming. And the, 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 the real benefit is we don't have to take advantage of that either. Because you can look at this in a couple different ways. So the, the, the painfully obvious thing is we're going to throw the ball to Amari. We have two guys that are going to block your two guys, and that's a adva- major advantage, Green Bay Packers. But then we have a really, really big, powerful, essentially a running back that is kind of running unblocked. I mean, you'll have three DBs against two guys, but we'll be able to block the guys that we have and get Amari free to where he has to beat one guy to get down the field. Maybe the first guy he encounters is a linebacker or a safety. The point is that is clearly advantage Packers. And the defensive coordinator is going to be looking at that formation and saying, we need to pay some extra attention to that. Here's the thing, though. We don't have to do that. Now, it would be a major benefit if we had Devontae still on the team, because that's a situation where you do that, and then the lone guy on the other side is Devontae, and they still have to put all their attention on Devontae. Because otherwise, we got one-on-one with Devontae. So either side of the ball, we win. But we can still have a guy, let's say, like Christian Watson, who has blazing speed down the field to where, yes, you need a corner over there. You're also going to need a safety over the top. But the more intriguing thing is going to be that number three option, which is run the ball. You look at a team like, let's say, the Minnesota Vikings or the um, Detroit Lions or the Chicago Bears, the, the biggest weakness probably with all three of these teams is going to be the interior defensive line. Maybe a little less so with the Minnesota Vikings, but still, it's, it's a weakness. But you've got to remember, we got four wide receivers out there, so they're coming in with a light box. And we've got our five offensive linemen, and we've got A.J. Dillon in the backfield, who is an absolute bruiser. So it's kind of a pick-your-poison situation. And that's just one thing kind of off the top of your head that, in which you can see where something like that would be beneficial. And it doesn't have to be Amari. And you can also do things like put people in motion. You could do Amari in motion with those two guys blocking to the side. You could also just have a... Uh, or <laughs> This is so fun. Again, this is all pie in the sky. I don't have to think about consequences or anything, so I can just have fun with these things. Imagine instead of a trip set to one side, we substitute Amari for another running back. So instead we have, let's say, Watson on one side or Dobbs or whoever, doesn't matter. We got our two blocking wide receivers over to the other side, and then we have two running backs. Why do we have two running backs? Aaron Jones is going to go sprinting over in the flat to where our two blocking guys are. And now Aaron uh, Rodgers has has a decision to make. Do I hand the ball to A.J. Dillon, or do I throw it to Aaron Jones? And this is kind of where going to Evan's call, I'm saying things are different than they were with Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy didn't do this stuff. It wasn't a matter of trying to conceal and make it look like we're doing one thing and we're doing another. There wasn't any of this. It was put Rodgers in shotgun or pistol, split out your wide receivers and send them down the field and run the same three or four plays that we always run and, and when we run the ball, we do it with no real efficiency. No offense to Eddie Lacy, who I believe was our running back at the time. Um, but it, it, was, it, was, it was a boring offense. It got to be very stale. And again, it worked for a time, and I, I think it, it worked as long as you had your powerhouse weapons. It's why he's not a terrible fit in, in Dallas, although the weapons are dissipating. But that's a team that had like three powerhouse wide receivers and a powerhouse running back and a really high-quality quarterback, and a really good offensive line. So yeah, I mean, he can figure out how to make that work. But this is, this is a different situation. 
And, that, and, and again, this is just based on how do we utilize two blocking wide receivers. It doesn't even begin to touch all the other things that different guys can do in different ways, how you can utilize each person individually and collectively and all these different things. What do you do when you have two really good running backs? What do you do when you have two really good blocking receivers? What do you do with a guy like Amari who's built the way he is? What do you do with a guy like Dobbs and his skill set or, or Watson with a guy with his skill set? The playbook is wide open. So what do I compare Sammy Watkins to? Let's see. Um, I'll tell you exactly who I would compare him to. Corey Davis. Corey Davis, who was a very productive wide receiver in Tennessee for many years. Um, They decided not to retain him, which is a little surprising to me. I always liked Corey Davis. Um, But number five overall selection. Sammy was number four overall selection. Corey Davis regularly grades in the 70s. Just like Sammy Watkins regularly graded throughout his career in the 70s, not the last two years, 65-ish or whatever, but very similar. If you look at yards per reception, Sammy's a 14, 15-yard per reception guy, deep threat type of a guy. Uh, Corey Davis, exact same thing, 13, 14, 15 yards per reception. Corey's a little bit taller, but they're very similar in terms of weight. I think they're very comparable in terms of speed. So yeah, that's you know, Sammy has more injury concerns than Corey Davis, but I, I would say Sammy and Corey are very, very similar wide receivers. Very similar. And and by the way, Corey Davis was out half the year last year with an injury. So I would, I mean, they are they are nearly <laughs> identical. Uh, Sammy's just a couple years older, about a year and a half older. So if you know who Corey Davis is, um, that would probably be the best comp for Sammy. And by the way, both of them very good blockers. Corey Davis is a phenomenal blocker as is Sammy. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break right here? Before we get there, though, please remember to head over to pristinaauction.com. Just for listeners of this show, they're going to be giving away a really, really slick-looking Jordy Nelson Super Bowl trophy that was signed by Jordy Nelson himself. This giveaway is going to be completely free by our friends over at pristinaauction.com, the most trusted site in sports memorabilia auctions. Just head over to pristineauction.com, click register at the top of the page, check out the link in the description of this show. Once you do that, you enter the promo code FAVRE, F-A-V-R-E, to be entered, and that's it, you're done. And as a bonus, if you decide as you're perusing around that there's some really great stuff at really great prices, because there is, they're going to give you 10 bucks off the first auction that you win. That's pristineauction.com, click register, enter promo code FAVRE, done deal. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones 
by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up, Ryan Clayton here. Um, I had a quick question. I know Rob Domofsky, um, right around 7.30 Eastern time here, um, has said, or 6.30 Eastern time, sorry, has said that David Bakhtiari is uh, on track to start the opener versus the Vikings. A little strange, though, because you haven't heard anything about Elton Jenkins. However, I did jump, jump over to uh, ESPN, and uh, on ESPN's website, as far as the injury report, um, as of September 5th, it's showing uh, – Ibanali, um, that's questionable. Christian Watson is questionable. Alan Lazard is questionable, but nothing about the offensive line. And I know that's not an official injury report, but just wanted to get your take on it. And it sounds like Box planning on starting uh, this Sunday against the Vikings at left tackle. Does that mean uh, Elton Jenkins is good to go too, seeing that everybody's hush? And, uh, yeah, if so, then does Zach Tom crack the starting lineup in one of those other three spots? Obviously not center. Josh Myers is locked in, but it kind of makes me wonder would he start over Royce Newman at right guard or over Runyon at left guard? I know we got Hanson in the mix too, but I want to get your take on it, man. Never too much uh, offensive line talk. Appreciate you. Yeah, I think um, I'm not positive. I saw somebody had mentioned ESPN put um, Hanson at right guard, which kind of just goes to your point of it being unofficial. So um, I don't think they know. I think it's kind of like with our lads and stuff. Everyone's kind of guessing with some of this stuff, and sometimes they're just flat out wrong with some of these things. But um, and yeah, it, it's it's weird because you know I, I want to run with all the reports that I'm seeing, but the reports are people trying to read the tea leaves largely. You know what I mean? Um, you know, for example, the question was asked: We you know the the media we can't see the um, the practice, so you can can you fill us in? Our uh, Dave and Elton going to be out there and he said we'll see the hope is that Bakhtiari will be doing team stuff I mean he just kind of left it at that is he saying just we're hopeful that Bakhtiari is in other words Elton obviously is Bakhtiari we'll see or is it not Bakhtiari or not Jenkins but maybe Bakhtiari it seems that seems to be the case but the point is they leave it vague enough, and, and they're going to be doing this on purpose. This is the time of year when they don't want to give you any information whatsoever because everything needs to be a secret. So don't expect to get an answer on anything until, like, game day. There are guys that they know will not play, and they're not going to tell anybody that because they don't want the Vikings to be prepared for the next guy up, especially when you look at wide receiver, guys like Alan Lazard that are injured. It's such a mystery what the Packers' offense is right now. 
who are your guys? And with Devontae gone, what, what is the primary focus of your offense? I mean, obviously, you're still a pass-first team. Every team in the NFL is a pass-first team. So who is the first guy you're passing to when you pass the ball? And if Lazard isn't there, who the heck is the guy you're throwing to? And it's, it's the same with offensive line because it's been such a shuffle. I mean, everybody kind of gets an idea of what the starting offensive line looks like, but we're still not 100% sure. And whether David plays, whether Elton plays, it makes a really big difference um, in terms of what the offensive line could look like. And so, you know, when you got teams that are dedicating an entire week to really working hard to studying individuals, you know, you got, you got defensive tackles who are studying minute you know, footwork of individual offensive linemen to try to get some kind of a pass rush advantage or, you know, reading keys on this, that, or the other. But if it's one of two or one of three or one of four guys you, you might be seeing, that really makes it hard to know what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, the immediate follow-up question, do you expect them both to be starting on Sunday? He just says, well, I guess we'll have to find out on Sunday. And so, you know, some of this stuff is going to get leaked out. Some of the things are going to, you know, we could probably tell what's going on. But the point is, he does not want us to know. And th- there's a chance he doesn't know, but he also kind of has percentages, right? He's, he's making everything seem like 50-50, but it might be, you know, Lazard is 60%, Jenkins is 2%, Bakhtiari's 45%. You know what I mean? I mean, he, he has a general idea, much more so than he wants to let on. You know, I mean, again, entirely reading the tea leaves, the question about Alan Lazard. Just the way he, he, all he said is we'll see, but the way he answered it kind of felt like he's leaning toward not playing. It was kind of a, eh, you know, we'll see kind of an answer. And, and again, it's a stupid thing to even try to guess what that means, especially since he probably doesn't actually know 100% either way. But trying to guess if he's on the 60% or 30% side or whatever, you know. With Christian, it's almost the opposite. And again, this is just me. Other people have interpreted it differently that they don't think he's going to play, but it was kind of funny. I'm just going through the, the interview again so I can kind of relive it or whatever. But um, it was kind of interesting because he asked about, or um, she asked about Christian, and it was a two-part question. It was, how do you feel about him in terms of his, his you know, development, I guess, and then also his status. And, and Matt LaFleur started talking about the game plan that they're going to draw up for him. And she said, oh, so you expect him to play then? And he's like, oh, uh, well, I, we'll we'll see. I don't know. I mean, you know, we'll see how he's doing. You know, you know what I mean? I mean, again, what I keep saying about these guys is sometimes they forget what we don't know. And I know he knows we don't know, but it's just, it's hard to remember every single thing you need to keep guarded, you know, because he's going to walk out of here and start talking. I mean, he, he, for all we know, he's been developing a game plan to get Christian Watson involved for weeks, you know, because he's expecting him to play this week. And they're trying to keep that under wraps. For all we know, he's the number one, number two wide receiver coming into this game just to completely blow everybody out of the water. It's doubtful. But I'm just saying, you're keeping all this stuff under wraps. And now you got a reporter going, oh, so he's playing? And it's like, oh, no, no, he's he's agonizing pain and he's stupid and he's, I don't like him. Don't worry about it. Shut up. Again, making it up, but that's just my impression. It sounds to me like he's more optimistic about Watson than Lazard, but I'm completely making that up. It's just based on the tone of his voice as he's answering questions, and every single answer is just, eh, we'll see. So, you know, just based on what he said and all the different guys, it doesn't sound great to me for offensive line, right? It sounds like Jenkins isn't even practicing. 
Bakhtiari is, we'll see if he can practice. And then for Lazard, it sounds like 40% in Christian, I'd say, is like 60%. If I were to just make up numbers. There is a lot of uh, hype about David Bakhtiari as though he said he's going to be playing week one. I don't think he did say that. Um, As best as I can tell, here's the quote when asked if they thought he was going to be able to play. He said, yeah, I mean, I'm on the active roster just like anyone else. Okay. (laughs) People on the active roster can... um, can be inactive for a game though we know that's that's not new information we know he's on the 53 we know he's active but we got to see the injury report and see if he's practicing if he's not practicing those kinds of things so again i'm not counting them out i'm kind of 50 50 on it but everyone's doing backflips about him saying i'm on the active roster is like okay <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it he went on to talk about how he's got a bunch of rust and t- on top of having new rust with just, you know, I've had three surgeries, which I have to kind of work through, which is a mental thing. He didn't say mental, but I'm adding that. So he's, he's got a lot to kind of get back to on top of everything else. Uh, as for Zach Tom, my thought is the only way he plays is if we're missing both tackles, in which case I don't even know 100% that he plays then because you've got Yash for sure playing. Royce is probably the tackle which would mean um, Hansen would be the guard. That would be my, my, not my top pick, but my expectation. It's possible that they like Zach Tom at tackle more than they like Royce at tackle, in which case then it would be Zach Tom and then probably keeping Royce inside because if he's your guard, he's your guard. Or whoever they initially said was the guard is, you know, that's going to be the guy, whether that's Hansen or whatever. But that's the only way. Um, because, again, Runyon has... I think that left guard spot 100% locked up. Myers, as you said, has it locked up. And then I think the right guard competition comes down to Royce and um, Jake Hansen. So Zach Tom right now is just trying to establish himself firmly as, I think, the number four tackle ahead of Royce, but probably behind Yash. And again, if he can do that, the only way we see him is if we lost both tackles, which would kind of obviously suck. Just my hunch. I don't know. Hey, I'm uh, trying again because we're having a little bit of connectivity issues here. Um, wondering if you could call up some old. I keep turning the volume down, and then um, I keep having to go back and fixing it. But I'm kind of just tired of doing that, so I'm sorry. The first part of that was quiet. Favorites on the podcast that we haven't heard in a long time, like back at the beginning, you used to call numbers and then nobody answered <laughs> but i'm thinking like call some people who used to call in all the time who don't anymore like tom austin i know right What's and that? apocalypto and homestyle that'd be really really entertaining so um yeah so he was talking about connectivity issues i forgot to mention this apparently and i didn't realize this was happening because jj was like hey are you getting my calls i'm calling every day and i'm like no i got one on tuesday and i got one on sunday and i even showed him screenshots like here's all the calls i got from you um if you've been trying to call and i haven't played it i apologize that's not on purpose i'm just i'm i'm not getting it there was like one day where i was like haha we got 45 calls so i get to be selective and i don't have to play calls that i don't want to and then that went away forever, and now I'm back to playing every single call that I get. So if you called and I didn't play it, that's a big my bad. Try again. Because, um, I'm again, I'm playing every call that I get. 
But all right, let's... Um, man, it's going to be hard because I don't know if I can really search, but let me... Let's see what we can dig up here. JP, this is Apocalypto. Instead of the Packers wearing throwback uniforms, why not a push-forward uniform? What would a Packer push-forward uniform look like? For me, the cheese look has to go in favor of old gold or metallic gold like the Saints. No stripes, just a giant dark green G with white highlighting. Dark green pants are a must. Out. So, Apocalypto is a living legend on the show, not only because well, there's, <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons. First of all, again, I, I try not to read ahead or find out what's coming up, so all of a sudden a robot is talking to me, and within two seconds he describes himself as Apocalypto, which is just hilarious. And then there's, there's this weird contrast between this ominous robot named Apocalypto and a very normal-sounding question. But then the other thing that makes him a legend is the fact that never called back again. I mean, there were three on the same day, three Apocalypto calls, um, but then just vanished July 30th, and then nothing. It's been over a month, no Apocalypto, nothing. I think we should, although Joe's calls got a little bit dark as they went on, his first call, I think, was pretty historic. Again, just kind of coming out of nowhere. I don't know anything about Joe. I don't know who these people are that are calling, but we're getting these calls and this is what we hear first time Joe calls. Hey, Ryan. It's Joe from Connecticut. So I'm a middle school janitor, master of the janitorial arts. Um, I, I hate my job, <laughs> and I hate those kids. Little turf stains. I won't play the whole thing, but again, I'm just sitting here waiting to talk about the Packers, and I get, uh, hey, it's Joe, a janitor. I hate my job. I hate the kids. <laughs> I cracked up a little bit. There's a lot of others, and I think what I'm going to do is solicit um, some, because Thomas Austin called in a ton, but I'm not really sure which one to do that is the best. But I, I want to get one more, because I went through all call, caller number five's accents, and I tried to figure out which one I think was the most impressive. Um, might be wrong about it, but this one... To me, the, the African one was real good to where there's like, you know how there's like certain parts of an accent where you hear it and it's generic, like, yeah, 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 that's the, but then there's like certain things where it's like, ooh, ooh, dang, that's, uh, that's pretty good. This one to me had a lot of that where it's like, oh, see, it sounded kind of like generic, like I could do that. And then you hear certain parts, it's like, oh, I don't think I could do that. But here it is. Hello, Ryan. This is caller number five once again. I have a possibly complicated question for you. Um, with all the hype surrounding the defense right now, I got me wondering which position group 2010 versus 2022 do you think is better? Or maybe you can use the PFF grades um, and compare the two. But uh, I think that this defense has a chance to be number one in NFL. So the hard part about accents, and again, I'm not super good at them, at all, so I know what makes them hard, but it's being, there's always going to be words and sounds and things that you don't know how they're supposed to sound in that language or dialect or whatever. You know, you, you can do Australian where it's like you, you get a lot, you, you know how to say like a phrase that sounds very Australian or Indian or German or whatever, but then you get to a certain sentence and it's like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, how would they say it? I have no idea. There were a lot of things 
a lot of intricacies in that Indian accent that are like, dang, that's pretty good. Even like in the very beginning where there was like an inflection and it got real high. Hello, Ryan. This is caller number five once again. The again part. I'm thinking, it's like, I, I wouldn't have done that. And he's right about doing I wouldn't have thought of that. I don't think most people doing an Indian accent would have done that. They would have done something like, uh, who's the guy from The Simpsons? And again, he, he does a decent Indian accent, but it would have just sounded like Apu. This is caller number five again. Once again, you know what I mean? It's just, it's generic sounding whatever. Some high quality stuff right there, man. Caller number five impresses me. Anyways, I need to try to remember to do that, to solicit favorite callers from uh, Packernet After Dark. Um, Let's do one more. This one is from The Boy. Hi, I'm Cullen. Hi, Dad. I'm Cullen. Um, Hi. Do you think who's going to be the best person you drafted? It's a great question. That is my son, Cullen, introducing himself to me. Um, who is going to be the best person we draft? Because you can answer that a couple different ways. First of all, what's best? If we're going to get super weird about it. What are we talking? This year, we're talking career. Just this year, I think the front runners have to be Romeo, Quay, and Watson. I don't know that anybody else gets a lot of votes. Some people are going to have some goofy takes. Samori, Zach Tom... Uh, Devontae Wyatt, uh, Kingsley might even get a wise guy vote for Jack Coco, which, you know, understandable, but come on. I think <sighs> Quay has maybe the easiest path. Quay and, and maybe Devontae, although if you look at Devontae and where he's at and the fact that he's kind of like number three, number f- or number four, or number five right now, if you kind of combine all those figures, he seems less likely. But just in terms of having the ability to make a really big impact, Quay Walker makes the most sense because he's, he's right there front line. Front line worker. He's got a great defensive line in front of him. He's got Devondre next to him. I mean, he, he's out there every play, and he's the number two. It would, uh, Quay Walker's in a situation similar to if we had drafted Christian Watson or Romeo Dobbs, and they were the number two wide receiver next to Devontae Adams. You imagine if Dobbs was sort of the number two next to Adams? That's the situation Quay Walker's in right now. Now, career gets interesting because all the obstacles in the way, all the talk about development, you can kind of cast aside. Devontae Wyatt makes a lot of sense. Yes, he's older, but the talent is incredible. You start talking about him being maybe starting next year, the number two defensive tackle next to Kenny Clark, pushing his way to the number one, especially if you're talking premier pass rushers, maybe not quite as much of a technician as Kenny, but a dominant interior rusher. You look at Christian Watson, you look at Romeo Dobbs. One of those guys potentially taking over as number one wide receivers. You look at Zach Tom potentially taking over as a premier, you know, offensive tackle, being the next David Bakhtiari, you know, again, another fourth round pick that just that just hits. You could even talk Rasheed Walker if you want to get weird with it. Sean Ryan maybe develops into a really good guard, give you that Josh Sitton type guard. So this year, although the wide receivers are very tempting, Quay Walker feels safer. If we're talking future, man, like looking back, he's going to be the most well-known, the most beneficial, the most whatever. Ah, oh, man. I have a hard time picking a linebacker just because there's, there's less impact. You know, we're talking superstars. I mean, you can talk linebacker, but usually or not, especially as a Packer fan, that's not where my mind goes. I'm leaning more offense between Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, and Zach Tom. I think if I were to pick a wide receiver, it would be Dobbs at this point. 
that might be kind of silly and maybe I'm overhyping it. Christian Watson was drafted earlier because the Packers think he's better. And so that's the guy you probably should vote on, not buy into the hype of Romeo too much. But the fact of the matter is Christian Watson's floor right now is, is rock bottom like most rookies. But the fact we just haven't seen anything yet. The odds of Romeo busting out just based on what we've seen, I think his floor is raised. So the odds maybe in my mind have shifted slightly toward Romeo being more of a really good wide receiver than than Watson. Although I think Watson's ceiling is higher and you know again he was drafted sooner for a reason. They believe what he they believe in what he can do immediately and in the future and everything else. But I'm going to lean a little bit toward Dobbs. Question is do I want to go all in on Zach Tom? And I am tempted to because you know the wide receiver thing could go in a million different directions. It could be Watson. It could be Dobbs. Uh, Lazard could stick around and be that dude. They can go out and find somebody else. Both of those guys could kind of bust out. You know, you never know what's going to happen with wide receiver. There's going to be a lot of guys coming in and a lot of guys going out over the years. But if you look at offensive tackle and say David Bakhtiari leaves in a couple of years, who's going to be the next great long-term tackle? And okay, Elton takes that spot. Okay, you need two. Who's the other one? I don't think it's going to be Royce. I don't think he's going to be the answer. Who's going to be the guy? I don't think it's Yash. I know he gets a lot of hype and and kudos to him for what he's done based on where he came from, but I don't think he's got a David Bakhtiari type ceiling. I know a lot of guys are hyped on Rashid. I'm not as hyped on Rashid. I think Zach Tom right now is that dude. Now, can he be as good as Elton or David Bakhtiari? I don't know. But that's what excites me about Zach Tom. It, it, as much as I would love to see him this year, I don't think that's going to happen. But right now, he's proved to be sort of that next in line. And, you know, Yash didn't even get to where he was for several years, and Zach Tom might be ready as a rookie. And so they're going to have time to sit him and let him stay healthy and be, you know, coached up the right way. And when his time comes, whether that be this year, next year, the year after, He'll be ready to step into that starting role as a premier offensive tackle. So I'll take Quay for this year, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Zach Tom for the uh, career guy. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. We didn't get to all the callers, but since the calls have kind of dissipated a little bit, I want to leave extras when I can and not use them all. So we got JJ, another call from JJ, and a uh, Mike Hebring call. That'll kick off tomorrow pending any new callers. But 608-501-0718, call in, leave a message. Uh, tell me your thoughts, your feelings, your emotions, your, your deepest desires, and we'll do another one tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.